Turn in your Bibles to the book of Revelation. The book of Revelation. We just continue to move through this book. And honestly, this is a challenging book for me. It's challenging, but it's one of the most rewarding. And I see that the blessings that John talks about in the beginning of the book are so true. There is a blessing associated with this book. And I believe that it's associated with this book because... The more you read this book, the more you have to study it. The more you have to compare Scripture with Scripture and pull things together. And the more you do that, your life is enriched and it is, it is a blessing. It just is blessed. I pray that our hearts are blessed today as you read Revelation chapter 11 and verse 15. Then the seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of His Christ, and He will reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who sat on the throne before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give you thanks, O Lord God, the Almighty, who were, who are and who were, because you were, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. And the nations were enraged, and your wrath came. And the time came for the dead to be judged, and the time to reward your bondservants, the prophets, and the saints, and those who fear your name, the small and the great, and to destroy those who destroy the earth. And the temple of the Lord, which is in heaven, was open, and the ark of the, of his covenant appeared in, in his temple. And there were flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunder and an earthquake and great and a great hell storm. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for this book. Lord, it, it explains so much of what is going to take place in the future. And it gives us great hope, it informs our, our mind and it exuberates our ourselves, our being, with hope. It exhilarates us. It, knowing what's going to take place, it, it builds confidence into our lives. It moves us. It produces within us a drive even. Even a deeper love for You. Because we know, we know how it's going to end. Based upon the promises that we've seen fulfilled in the past, we know that your promises will be fulfilled in the future. And Lord, that just exhilarates us. We thank you, Lord, for that. And this exhilaration, Lord, may this, may our drive, our exhilaration be turned into true building up of the kingdom of God. True ministry to people. True courage to share the gospel. May it move us. Lord, we thank you for this precious word. Lord, I know that people are here today from just with all kinds of different things going on in their lives. We we know of funerals that are going to be taking place this week. Of family members that have died. We know of people struggling and people in the hospital. And Lord, You are a God of all comfort. And we just pray that You would comfort with these words today as well. You are a wonderful God. And Lord, we pray that we would honor and glorify You with our time together. 
We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is the the third woe, the seventh and uh, the, the seventh trumpet of judgment, the seventh trumpet, and and we've compared this to a a telescope, and we've seen those first sealed judgments. You think you're done at the end of that seventh sealed judgment, and that telescope collapses out. It pulls out to another set of seven trumpet judgments. And when you're finished with the seventh trumpet, it pulls out even further, and there's more. There's seven more judgments um, to come. Now, that seven judgments doesn't... We don't see that until chapter 16. And then there's seven more judgments, and that's seven bold judgments. And we'll see that. But something interrupts that... that, uh, uh, John's attention, he'll get back to this later, but there's something that interrupts that, and that's voices in heaven. It's celebration. And that's what we see. The seventh sound of the seventh trumpet uh, blast, and there's, there's voices in heaven. And you can compare that with the quietness of that quiet for a half an hour when the first trumpet sounded. And we would compare this, we would compare this with Matthew chapter 24 when Christ was saying that these are the the birth pangs. These birth pangs will increase more and more and increase in intensity, increase in frequency until what? Until that baby is born. That's we understand birth pangs. And these are compared to the, the end times and they were birth pangs. And at the end, Christ will come. Well, these are the most intense judgments. These bold judgments that we will be studying. And before we get to that, though, John puts a little parenthesis. He wants to to show us, he wants us to, to see what's going on, that the victory is assured because things get really bad at the end. The most intense, just before Christ returns. That's the picture, that's the image that we need to have in our mind. In chapters 12 to chapter 15 is that parenthesis. And there's a lot of things that are going to happen during this time. But John's attention is turned to heaven during this passage. His attention is turned to heaven because there's voices. There's loud voices in heaven. And it's a celebration. A celebration is going on. And the celebration is an anticipation of Christ's return. Because this is it. This is the last judgment. They know this is the final thing that's going to to bring about Christ's return. And they celebrate it, though it's already happened. In fact, we've been anticipating Christ's return, really, for all of the past. For thousands and thousands of years. In fact, Jesus Christ was the seed that was talked about in Genesis chapter 3. That will come and He will crush Satan's head. The seed of the woman. He's also the seed of David that will reign as king forever and ever and ever. And he's anticipated by so many groups of people, so many people, people that love the Lord. Now, these people, these elders, they see the end. They, they just they can almost reach out and grab it. So the celebration from our perspective starts a little early. In fact, we may say it, it's too early. And the the language here is they're celebrating as though this has already taken place. That this is already a done deal. It's not quite done, but they're celebrating like it is. 
This final trumpet that's supposed to be judgment is, is, being, is being drowned out, if you will, being interrupted with celebration. Now, we can understand that a little bit. Back in November the 8th, we had an election, didn't we? And we all, some of us, stayed up even late to find out who's the winner. You know, there's people that found Donald Trump was the winner, and, and celebration started at that moment. Donald Trump is the next president, or is the president of the United States. To begin to celebrate, even though he doesn't take office for another two and a half months, celebration starts early. Why? Because everything was in place. All of the states have come in, all of the votes have been counted, and we know who won. Celebration started. Now that's what's going on here. Victory is assured. They sense it. They know it. It's assured. Victory is, is certain. His return is sure. It's going to happen. And so they begin to, they begin to celebrate and praise the Lord in anticipation, in anticipation of Christ's return. Uh, something that's unique. It's actually a, a kind of a paradox. It's an anticipated reality. They, they know that this is going to take place and, and they have anticipated it. And it sounds like a paradox to us. But this is a vision of Christ's return. And they know it's going to happen based upon the promises of Christ and what they've seen. And these observers in heaven are, are just waiting. Actually, all the votes have been tallied. They've already, they're assured that Christ is the victor. And so they, this anticipation just turns into celebration. And that's what we see. And, and, and here's what I, I want us to, to see today. Anticipation of Christ's return should, should be a motivating factor in the believer's life. Let me ask you, just at the outset, what does it do for you? Does it bring you hope? Does it cause you to drive? Does it encourage you? Does it motivate you? Does it help you to overcome obstacles in your life? Because I know that Christ is the victor. Oh, I hope that it does. Now, these, these people, these elders, they're celebrating. And the question that we'll answer today is that what are the ele- elements of anticipated, elements anticipated in Christ's victor over Satan? What are the, what are the things to look for? How do we know if Christ is going to win? How do we know that this is going to be a done deal? How do we, how do we anticipate all of these votes being counted? How do they know? Well, there's certain things that they were looking for. And in this celebration, it's, it's kind of like uh, winning a football game or a basketball game. You kind of rehearse the, the events of that game, especially that final shot. Sometimes it comes down to the, the last shot, and you kind of rehearse that. And that's kind of what's happening here. I want you to get that sense, that feel of what's going on. And there's three things that they give us that John points out here. First of all, Christ takes the kingdom of the world. That's the first thing. He takes the kingdoms of the world. The second thing is He begins to rule. That is wonderful. That is, that is what is anticipated. And then the third thing is He establishes His presence here on this earth. Three things. Now let's look at number one. Here's what He says in verse 15. Let's look at the middle of verse 15. We've covered the first part of verse 15. He says, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ. Now, the word kingdom is singular, isn't it? It's not the kingdoms of the world. It is singular. 
Right now, right now, the kingdom of this world belongs to Satan. It all is his. Now, the kingdom, kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is the one of the main themes throughout Scripture. We see that. Uh, in fact, it probably is the main theme, the central theme of all of Scripture and all the other themes of Scripture rally or pulled around that one theme. And God's kingdom began in Genesis chapter 1. He, being the king, he created his realm. He created, he created this universe. This was his realm. And he did so because he is an invisible God. Remember this. He is an invisible God and he is creating these physical, this physical universe to display what? To display his glory. He's wanting to display His glory in a physical way. He wants His glory to be seen. And it's so multifaceted and it's so infinite that it takes, it takes a multitude. And so He puts Adam on this earth. Adam, who is the image bearer of God. An image bearer. And He tells Adam, He gives Adam a command. He says, Adam, be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth. And that's the subjects of his kingdom. God is the king, the subject of his kingdom. Adam's race, fill the earth, subdue it, and rule over it. And it's all done to the glory of God. Now we know what happened, right? Adam, Adam enjoyed the presence of God for a little while. God as king would come on a daily basis in the cool of the evening and walk with Adam. It was a wonderful thing that the God of the universe and man working together, man being in charge. And beautiful picture. What happened? Satan. Satan deceived Eve. Adam and Adam sinned. Satan usurped the allegiance to God. Instead of being God's subjects, they're now Satan's subject. And Adam was fruitful and he multiplied. He was supposed to raise a godly seed, a godly generation or a godly race. But instead he produced billions of rebels. Billions of rebels. And with allegiance to Satan that fight against God. Their loyalties lie with, with Satan. And any attempt to, to restore that kingdom is failed because we fall short of God's glory. Any, anything that we try to do is, is really incomplete or imperfect. We cannot restore that kingdom. We are sinful people and the earth is a, a cursed earth. And Satan has captured the hearts of mine and we are one kingdom and we are in rebellion against God. That's the picture. That's the picture. It's not a good picture. It's Satan. Satan is in control. He is leading. He is the prince of the power of the air. And, and he is in control. But now this, this is what makes it so great. Let me tell you another thing here. God established his kingdom on earth one other time. Through Israel. He chose Abraham. And through the period of time he birthed Israel into a nation. He established his dwelling place, His presence in the holy temple in Israel. Again, God and man together. It was a beautiful thing. They were to be a light to all of the nations. But what happened? That failed too. Sin infiltrated the nations and the glory of God was seen moving out of the temple and across the land and gone. It's gone forever. 
out of the temple, out of the nation. In the New Testament, what we see, we see Christ was offered the kingdom, wasn't he? In Matthew chapter 4, Satan came to Christ. In fact, turn over there. It's really interesting. Matthew chapter 4, Satan, in one of the temptations of Christ, Matthew chapter 4 and verse 8, again, Satan took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and, and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give to you. They belong to Satan. They were under his control. He says, I'm going to give these to you. It says, there's one condition. It says, if you fall down and worship me. Well, that cannot be, Jesus said. To him, go Satan, for it is written. Jesus bases his thinking upon the word of God, taking every thought captive. I cannot do that because the word of God says, you shall, not worship, you shall worship the Lord, your, the Lord your God and serve him only. Worship and serve the Lord your God and Him only. Him only. He is the only King. So right now, we have an an intermediate kingdom, if you will. This is the church age. There's no physical kingdom. Christ is not reigning in some physical way right now. But there's still, Christ is reigning as King and He is reigning over over his church, this intermediate kingdom, this spiritual kingdom. And if you would look over to Colossians chapter 1, just a real interesting verse, verse 13. I'll just read it quickly. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness, that kingdom of darkness, Satan's kingdom, and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that's what he does for you. You are transferred into, out of darkness into the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. So we are we're in this intermediate spiritual kingdom, not physical yet. Now turn back to Revelation. So this kingdom of the world has has come, has become the kingdom of the Lord and His Messiah, His Christ, Satan has lost and this kingdom now that used to be Satan, this economic, this religious system of the world controlled by Satan, subjects uh, by subjected by man, and this world system now is all belonging to God. He takes it. It is his. Now the, the term the word be, has become is an interesting verb because it's a proliptic Arist. Now that just warms your heart, doesn't it? In the Greek, there's a particular verb, and in fact, you see it a lot in prophetic language, that it talks about, it describes an event that's going to happen in the future. It's so certain that it's going to happen, they speak as if it's already taken place. And that's the verbs used in this passage. They're celebrating as though it has already taken place, as though they could see it. It's just there. As though it's already reality. These 24 elders then fall down and they worship. Now let's, let's try to understand this and try to apply this to our own lives. Essentially, there's only two kings, folks. There's only two kings. There's only two kingdoms right now. There's the kingdom of Satan and there's the kingdom of God. And your loyalties lie somewhere. You say, no, I'm not serving either one. I'm going to serve myself. 
Now, if you're serving self, you're in the, the kingdom of Satan. Because he is just leading you along. You're, you're just fooling your own self. You're in the kingdom of Satan. Oh, I'm not in the kingdom of Satan. Yes, you are. That's just a reality. There's two, two kingdoms. Christ said, if you are not for me, you are against me. Now, here's the, the deal. There's no middle ground. And we see so many Christians that are, that are trying to straddle both sides. And if you go down to Carowinds, down in Charlotte, the state line runs right through that little park. And you can stand in North Carolina and stand in South Carolina at the same time. You just straddle that line, right? And many times Christians are trying to play that game. Loyalty to Satan or loyalty to God. That can't be. Your loyalty lies with one or the other. Christ said you cannot serve two masters. There's no middle ground here. No middle ground. I think there's so many Americans that are trying to play both sides. They don't know they're on the side of Satan, but that's exactly, that's exactly where they are. And so we have to be careful. There's no middle ground as, as believers either. We have to be very careful. Are we serving the kingdoms of, of Satan? Or are we serving the kingdoms, the kingdom of, of God? You have to ask yourself that question. Let's go on. There's only two kingdoms. Number two, the, look at their focus. The elders' uh, praise is focused upon Christ. Christ beginning, beginning his reign. Look at verse 17. Here's what they say. So they bow down, they're worshiping God, and they give thanks. He says, we give thanks, O Lord, God, the Almighty. Now, there's, there's two things that they give thanks for. First of all, the character of God and then the power of God. Look at the character of God. His, his almightiness, that he is, his, that is almighty, that he is all-encompassing, all-embracing, irresistible power of God. That's what that is. It says, who are and were. This is a living God. There's no beginning, no ending. Now, let's just stop back, stop and, and compare this with Remember the, what we talked about last week, the, the boasting of the Antichrist. There's no one, nothing can compare to this God. No beginning, no end. He is eternal. He is and He was and He is to come. He has all power. That's who this God is. That's His character. Yeah, he began to reign in the middle of verse 17 because you have taken your power and have begun to reign. That is incredible. They're narrowing it down to that very moment that he takes his power and begins to reign. That means he has direct control over everything, over all the universe. Satan is no longer in the picture. And look what happens. Look at the reaction of the nations. Here's a... They are enraged, it says in verse 18, and the nations were enraged and their, uh, and his wrath came. The nations were enraged. Now, they're painting a picture. They're reminding us. They're going over and rehearsing in their minds what has happened, what has transpired. He had taken back his kingdom and the nations were enraged. He has gotten his control. He is reigning and the reaction of the nations is not good. The word enraged there is a settled burning, a resentment against God. Now you see that in chapter 16, when those next bowl judgments come. 
Look at verse 11. He says this, And they blaspheme the God of heaven because of their pain and their sores, and they did not repent of their deeds. They're resentful. They're res- There's a lot of resentment. They hate it. Christ began to reign, and they hate Him. They hate Him. There's deep-seated hostility. So what happens... Psalm chapter 2 reminds us what happens, that all the nations begin to gather. And we see the picture of this in chapter 19 and verse 19. Here's what happens in verse 19. He says, Then I saw the beast and the, the kings of the earth. Now that's the Antichrist. This is the, the beast, the Antichrist. He gathers all the nations, all the kings of the earth, and their armies, and assemble. They assemble to make war against him who sat on the throne. That's Christ. They assemble. They're enraged, it says. And then just a small little phrase, three little words. Your wrath came. His vengeance. His wrath came. This was the time of His wrath. And it came. And it was the time also for the dead to be judged. It was also the time, if you look down to the end of verse 18, that those who destroy the earth would be destroyed. To destroy those who destroy the earth. Now, this isn't talking about environmental destroying the earth. This is destroying the earth with sin. This is man, Satan, Antichrist, uh, the beast, all of these earth dwellers that shaking their fist against God. This whole false religious system, Revelation chapter 19, verse 2, it's called Babylon. And they're all shaking their fist against God. They're all enraged. And His wrath comes and He judges them. It just says very simply, His wrath came. They're just rehearsing that. That last play, that last bit of God's judgment, that last explosion of God's power upon the earth, upon these people, and He annihilates them. God's wrath was no match No match for the raging of the nations. And He pours out His wrath upon His enemies. And that pouring out of His wrath was spelled the end, the end of any rebellion against God at that one moment. That's incredible. But it's also a time of rewards. A time of rewards. I skipped that part, but it's in the middle of 18. And judgment is a time for judgment and a time... To reward your bondservants, the prophets and the saints and those who fear your name, the small and the great. That's us, folks. Anyone who works for God, anyone who works in that kingdom, is bondservants, those who work for the kingdom of God, the prophets, those in the dark days, they were being oppressed and people were against them. God rewards them. He rewards the saints. That's the Old Testament saints, the New Testament saints, anyone who fears His name, the small and the great. It's an all-encompassing term. This is a wonderful thing. This is a wonderful sight. This is one of those rare moments, folks. But here's what I want us to take away from this, just as far as application and just something that we need to remember here. Right now... And they're celebrating here. They're rehearsing what is happening. Right now for us, this is we're still in the time of building the kingdom. We're still in the time of working for the Master. 
And that's what we're to do. That's what we are called to do at this time. To use our energy right now to build the kingdom of God. And he said he will use us and and he will build his kingdom. I want you to see this. I want you to see a, a great example. Look over in Acts chapter 28. This is the last passage of Acts. The last verses, the last two verses of Acts. Now you have to remember what Acts was. Acts was a a history book of the early church. And it started out at just exactly what Jesus said was going to happen. He said that you will receive power and you will be my witnesses, first in Jerusalem and in Judea and then the other most parts of the earth. And that's exactly what happened. The church began small and they began to influence. and And by the end of the book of Acts, here's what you have. You have the main guy, the main person in the book of Acts was Paul and he was the one working hard to spread the kingdom of God. Look what it says of him. Now, by the way, he's in prison. He has been there at least for two full years, he says in verse 30. And he stayed two full years in his own rented quarters and was welcoming all of those who came to him. That's a wonderful picture. Paul, he he didn't like the idea of being in prison. But you know what? He says, I'm going to make the best of it. I'm going to build the kingdom. If Paul couldn't go to them, and he couldn't, he was restricted to house arrest. If he couldn't go to them, then he is going to invite them to come in. And that's exactly what Paul did. And we're called to go. We're called to go. But Paul was, he was isolated. He couldn't, he said, come on in, come on in. And look what he did, verse 31. He says, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness and unhindered. Open and unhindered. And what is he doing? He's preaching the kingdom of God. Preaching the kingdom of God. That's what we are to be about. Whether we're confined to prison or whether we're going out, that's our main task, folks, is to build the kingdom of God. And we know the verses. We're called to pray, Thy will be done thy on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. We're to pray that. We are to pray, Lord, send laborers into the field. We're to seek that kingdom. Seek first that kingdom. We're to labor for that kingdom. I think you get the point. Folks, I believe... I believe that we are in a generation that's in celebration mode. And that's good. There's, there's a rightful place for celebration. But that, our energies, our energies must be geared toward the building up of the kingdom of God. There'll be time for celebration in heaven. But right now, what are we doing with our energies? What are we doing with our energies? How are you building the kingdom of God? Paul was restricted. But you know what? He was still preaching that kingdom. He was restricted. How are you using your time to build the kingdom of God? How are you using your God-given talents to build the kingdom of God? We have to ask ourselves, are we really workers? Will we get a reward? When the time comes to give out rewards, where are we going to be? Our responsibility right now, right here and now, is to build the kingdom of God. Is to proclaim that kingdom is coming. And prepare the way, like John the Baptist, prepare the way. The Lord is, He is coming. We have to ask ourselves, are we doing that? That's our responsibility now. Look at number three. Look at the focus 
changes a little bit in verse 19. So that from this victory mode of, of rehearsing this last scene and God unleashes his, his vengeance upon mankind and eradicates all these rebels that are messing up his universe, he gains control. But there's one other thing, there's one other element here in their, in their celebration. This is so good, verse 19. And the temple of God which is in heaven was open, was open. And the ark of the covenant of his covenant appeared in his temple. And there was flashes of lightning, sounds and peals of thunder and earthquake and hellstone, hellstorm. And you say, what, what in the world is that about? First of all, John's attention is drawn to the temple. This is the temple of God. Now, this is the temple that's referred to earlier in the, in the book of Revelation. And it's, it's the temple that's reflected. It's the temple on earth that's reflected in heaven. And we've seen that. Those prayers come up as they, as they offer prayers upon that sacrifice and it comes up into heaven. So that temple just reflects what's going on on the earth. And this temple is a, a, a sanctuary. That's the term here. This is the, the holy of holies. This is that place that only the priest can come in once a year. And God Himself is there. God is there. And he says it's, it's open. That's the key. Everyone's allowed in. It's not just the priest once a year. We all have access to God. He is on His throne. We have access to, to Him. Now, that's a beautiful picture. And His Ark of the Covenant is there. That was kept within that Holy of Holies. Remember the Ark of the Covenant was just that, that covenant between God and Israel. It had special things that talked about God's promise to Israel. That golden jar with the manna. Aaron's rod, those special times for Israel that God kept his promise. And this is just a picture of God's saving covenant of his people. And then you have flashes of lightning and sounds and peals of thunders and earthquake and, and a hellstorm. That always accompanies God's presence. Remember that in the Old Testament? Earthquakes. And peals of thunder, God in all of His majesty, God in all of His greatness and power and glory on display so people can see it. His full access to God. We can come right to Him. We have seen, we've seen His divine presence. We see His divine presence here, but also His divine wrath with, with this hell storm and these earthquakes. I mean, he is, he is approachable, but we repro- approach him with fear and trembling. I, I like what MacArthur says about this verse. He says, heaven is the source of vengeance for unbelievers as well as the covenant of blessing for the redeemed. You see both, both coming from heaven. God is on his throne. He has, we have full access to him. And that's where you, Micah chapter 4 comes in. The passage that Tim read for us earlier. What were they doing? What did they say? Let's go up to Jerusalem. And let's set before the King who is also God. He is on His throne. And what? We will listen to His ways. We will let Him teach us. We will ask Him questions. That was what Israel was supposed to do. In fact, they did that a little bit, didn't they? When King Solomon was on his throne, they were a light to the nations and the nations would come and they would ask the wisest man, they would ask him questions. 
Folks, it's going to be so much better when Christ, when God Himself is on this throne and we say, let's go up and hear from Him. Let's listen to His ways. Let's let, uh, let me ask a specific question about my life. Lord, what should I do in this situation? How should I handle this? We have full access. Full access to His, His kingdom. Think about what man can accomplish when God is on his throne in all of his greatness and all of his power. Man, there's no more sin, no more sin. And man is working for God as it should be in this new heaven and new earth, this new garden of Eden like Adam enjoyed where God was there. God's presence were there and he was working. No encumbrance of sin. Folks, two questions, a couple of questions. Do you really believe this? Does this motivate you? Do you really see this vision of victory in, in your mind? Or, or do you just see, oh, we just somehow get to heaven someday and we sit on this cloud and play our little harp and, and that's it? No, no, it is real. There will be tangible things. There will be the physical earth that we will serve the Lord in. And do you anticipate God's rule on this earth? Do you long for that? Do you long for that? And the real question is, are you working for that? Are you building that kingdom now? Will you be rewarded? Our theology drives us, you know that? What we believe about eschatology, the end times, the future, what we believe about that, that's the way we're going to uh, live our lives. That's going to motivate us, that's going to give us hope, or that's going to crush us. And listen, if this is your image, if this is your vision, that Christ has overcome, He has conquered His enemies, He is present here on earth, and He is ruling Folks, listen, with that kind of image in mind, we can overcome amazing obstacles on this earth. We struggle, folks. We really do. I struggle. I've struggled over this this passage. And I struggle. But you know what? What what drives me is this right here. Knowing that I am building a kingdom of God. I'm helping to build God's God's kingdom. Or He is building it through me. That motivates me. It excites me. Just the anticipation of someday ruling with Him. Because these things are real. This is not fairy tale. It should bring real motivation to our life. It should bring real drive to our life. Not just happy kind of momentary motivation, but long-term, steady faithfulness. To God. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for these words. We thank you for seeing, allowing us to see this picture in heaven of the celebration of these elders who are anticipating this, this great victory. Even rehearsing it in their mind what's going to happen, what needs to take place. And Lord, they see it, they can grasp it, and so they're celebrating now. Lord, Help us to turn the energy that you've given us, that energy that just uh, 
exuberates us or, or exhilarates us. May we turn that into work as Paul did. Working to the point of exhaustion. Working. These, these two men in China working to build the kingdom of God. Help us to seek your kingdom first and your righteousness. Lord, we know that you'll take care of the other stuff. Lord, ours is a, ours is a, a tough job right now. We're still in the battle. We're still building. We're still nailing and, and putting up those blocks and, and still preaching the gospel. Lord, help us to use our energies for that. May we be those saints who, who gain a reward, who were rewarded greatly because we have built, because we have worked, we have labored in this field. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. If we can do anything to help you, we'd love to be able to do that. Spiritual things. Uh, and uh, I know that they're kind of deep and heavy sometimes, but we have to think through these things, and it's good for us to do that. If we can help you in any way, we'd love to be able to do that. Pray with you. Um, I'm here throughout the week, or you can see any of our elders at any point today. These are motivating things. When we get a glimpse of Christ's victory, folks, that should drive us. That should drive us. Tim, come ahead.